get ready for a parenting adventure. Welcome to Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond, the podcast that explores all things family. From child development to mental health, we've got you covered. Join us for a fun and informative discussion with expert guests and real-life parents. Let's go on an adventure. Welcome back to another episode of Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond. Today we have Bethany Moore, a mom who's going to share her story about her family. Hi Bethany, how are you today? Hey, I'm well. How are you? Good. Tell us a little about yourself and your family. So about your personal journey, I know that you uh, talked about being a mom at a young age. So could you kind of just give us a, a little bit of background about your personal experience? Yeah, so when I was 20, I was working at a restaurant and I met my son father. He was 19. Both of us had kind of gotten out of serious relationships. We weren't necessarily looking for anything serious. We were just kind of hanging out after work and we both were at a restaurant. So it was just convenient, like late hours and things. Two months later is when I found out. You find out you're pregnant and then what happened? Wow. So I was terrified. Uh, You know, we were living like paycheck to paycheck. He was a a dishwasher and I was a server. So I wasn't even getting a paycheck. Like I was living off of tips. And so, you know, I I wasn't, I was kind of in and out of school, just was not financially stable. So I was freaking out. One of my best friends, she had a child when she was 14. So I I immediately called her. I called her mom and she like got all, you know, she got me a bunch of resources and, you know, just reassured me that everything would be okay. Unfortunately, when I was seven months pregnant, her and her husband like tragically passed away. I'm Um, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. And like, like, it just like turned my world upside down. Like every, all, like all the support that I thought that I had from that, it just kind of like rushed. Like, mm. I didn't tell my parents right away because I was terrified. I wanted to be able to go to my parents and say, this is my plan. Right. This is what I want. You know, who this is who's going to babysit. You know, this is how I'm going to make it work. It just, unfortunately, it just didn't work like that. Wow. That's tough. Yeah. Because you're kind of almost doing it by yourself while you're scared and stressed and then trying to navigate how you're going to bring your parents into it. I wound up telling my sisters first and they were just shocked. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I only knew um, Lucas's dad for two months. Things kind of just got like progressively worse. I started to uh, realize things that just trying to navigate like this new relationship be pregnant, you know, people not knowing that I'm pregnant, not knowing what I'm going Was Lucas's dad supportive of the pregnancy or how did he feel about all that? So I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't want to be controversial. I contemplated abortion. I called once I hung up. I called second time and I left a voice. And so when I told him that I done that, he called me a murderer, like a a baby killing, like, you know, B-I-T-C-H. Oh my gosh. That, yeah. I'm so sorry you had and to go that, through that. That's it's it's okay. Um he basically just said that like he would raise the kid and um Lucas. He would raise Lucas and just like tell Lucas that I didn't want him and I don't know what you call that. I don't know that's supportive or yeah that's I don't know if there's a word for that (laughs) he obviously is not somebody that you were together with and having this loving start of a family so where has that gone from then obviously we had Lucas stay together for about two years in that time you know I was trying to go to school I was you know working and during all of that there was drug use i had known you know prior to pregnancy that he was like doing things like rec- recreationally i never knew the extent and so things just got 
progressively worse. You know, I would find like paraphernalia around the house. Things would just go missing. Money would go missing. Pills would go missing. You know, I would confront him and it would just, you know, he would just say things like gaslight cottage. Like, what do you, why would you think that I would do that? And you know, when people are finding drugs, like they had them or they want them or like it just gets by like it just it gets toxic absolutely mm-hmm. poor lucas was you know one and two years old like referee you know stop yelling it was just it was so toxic mm-hmm. that i had to get out i just had to figure out how i was going to be able to do that and that was hard yeah. i i mean i give props to you i ended up i was married to my ex-husband and i got pregnant and he had always had issues um and it got really bad when i got pregnant and then i decided to leave him when Dex was nine days old because it got so bad um, and it being unsafe so I give you props for having the courage to leave after being around for two years I mean that's a long time Um, and it's not always easy especially when your son was used to him being somewhere around whether it's consistent or not I'm I'm proud of you that's awesome that you were able to make that decision because that's not always an easy one for everyone to make but it was the right one dealing with addiction can be incredibly challenging so how did you navigate the complexities of then having to figure out co-parenting with him that was tough because tried to do a parenting agreement and that was like supervised by my father and his father that did not work out that was a mistake so we wound up going to court. we went to mediation we could not agree so we went to court when we went to court the judge basically gave him I think it was either two or three days of custody Mm -hmm. and I had the rest. That was mortifying. The reason he was able to get that was because he was in a relationship with this girl who had serious mental health issues. And I would never, like, I don't, I don't say that in a malicious way. Like I, I'm, you know, like a big advocate on mental health and stuff, but she made, she made things for us really, really hard. It was, it was shocking that they would put Lucas in the hands of somebody who they knew was doing drugs and somebody who they didn't really even know. Yeah. So that happened. And then um, it didn't last. Didn't last. And how long did that go on for before things got changed? To be honest with you, it was just, it was so wishy-washy. He mm-hmm. never, he never really followed through with the the days that he was assigned. He would be sleeping mm-hmm. or, you know, something would come up, you know, just like, and so I would have to say maybe it was a few months in and mm-hmm. I was just like, I, no, this is not working. You know, Lucas was coming home and this is so sad. Lucas is coming home in soiled underwear so i i was potty training tyler and i were potty training him potty training and my husband Mm -hmm. we would spend hours you know after work working with lucas Mm -hmm. and then he would bring lucas over to his father's house it would just just plop a pull-up on him and that was call it a day and so by the time we got lucas back he would have severe like diaper rash he would be covered in mud and dirt and like you could just you know when you give kids junk and like you know um sticky things like they Mm -hmm. have the you know dirt he would honestly be covered in vomit a lot of the time because lucas is very sensitive at the time he was very sensitive to sugar Mm. and so he would go over there and eat you know like cocoa puffs and yoohoo and whatever just whatever they could throw in front of him um and so i had to shut it down that's so scary and to have somebody take care of your child and treat them so, like it's, it must be very hard as a mom to not like i don't know i, I give you props for remaining so calm well that's why i mean like that's why so many women stay because that was a major reason why i stayed for as long as i did because 
I had this like sick feeling like if I'm not at least if we're in the same house, I can Mm -hmm. monitor everything as much as you know, to the best of my ability, you know, now that we're apart, I don't have the ability to be able to just walk in and you know, monitor whatever's going on. I didn't take it well, you know, once when he would come home, it it was it made me sick. I had the worst anxiety, my depression was so bad, Mm -hmm. you know, and and my husband, Tyler, you know, stuck through all of that with us. But it wasn't easy. And we did go to court but it's also yeah. sad that you have to because yeah. i remember the yeah. same thing like when i was going to get full custody of my son it was i mean i had to bring pictures of what we've done together and have an explanation of how i'm a good mom and i'm like well i'm the only person in his life what do you mean like why am i having to prove to you that i'm a good mom when the other person is not even in existence so but it's it's true you have to fight for something that should be common sense like oh that's not a safe environment he doesn't need to be there but you really do you yeah. have to fight to get what you want um, and what your right. child deserves. That's terrifying. In the time frame, you also, so you're married, your husband's dealing with, you know, trying to be your emotional support as well as being there for your son. And then at some point, you guys also have your own child together, right? Yes, that was about, Lucas was five. So that was three years after uh, Luke's dad and I split up. How do you navigate that now? So now you had, you know, ongoing trying to figure out how to co-parent with somebody who's not the best fit for your son. And then you have a good, stable home life and you have this happy marriage and now you're bringing another life into it. So how do you kind of manage the two worlds to be combined? I became pregnant um, I found out in June, I believe, of 2019. I'm sorry, I'm horrible with dates. Um, Nate is a very, sorry, Lucas's father is a very like vindictive, like one upper. I know that this is going to sound like kind of self-centered, I think, but I got pregnant. It took me a long time to get pregnant with Brody. And then out of nowhere, Nate tells me like, oh, well, I have a baby on the way with so-and-so, which we don't even, I didn't even really know who it was. Mm-hmm she was like 18 at the time and he wound up so he wound up getting her hooked onto drugs and pregnant oh, wow. at the same time i had brody in february 2020 so it was about a month before everything went down with covid mm-hmm. at that point lucas's grandparents basically just told um lucas's father because they they supported him financially mm-hmm. they said like we're you're either going to be homeless because we're going to cut you off or you can come move to colorado that was like a dream come true mm-hmm. honestly I mean, I know it sounds horrible and it does suck for Lucas in a way, but he has been in Colorado since the start of That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. It was the best thing that ever happened. I had three months of maternity leave, the rest of February, March, April, and then a little bit of May. In that time, you know, it was horrible time, obviously, but I was able to bond with the kids. I was able to bond with my mother so much because Lucas would come from school. I could just try to learn, even though Brody was, you know, Maybe like, you know, when Lucas would have to do his like gym exercises and things like that, I would put Brody on. Brody would kick. And so we really, I really just tried to like incorporate Brody in a lot of what Lucas, just to make Lucas feel like he was a part of it. Okay. So what were some unexpected blessings or positive aspects that emerged from having two children with two different dads? And how has it shaped your understanding of family and love? I think in in my case, I don't think that there was really anything like positive. Mm -hmm. I think that it was awesome that Tyler came in and showed us what true unconditional love was. Like I was saying earlier, you know, Lucas was refereeing fights between his father and I at like two, which is horrible. And I should have never put him in those positions. And I feel guilty to this day about it. 
Hmm. But Tyler just, Tyler came in and just changed everything. He was loving and supportive and just did everything that he possibly could and still does that, like to make us happy and to make Lucas feel loved and included. And it's awesome that Lucas also gets to see a positive male role model. You know, that was probably Lucas's saving grace because I, I worry about what kind of man that he would grow up to be if I had stayed with his father or if his father was even still around to influence him in the slightest. Yeah, it, uh, having a positive male figure in the household is definitely like it could be life changing because you don't know, you know, everybody says nature versus nurture and nurture does have a huge impact. So having his biological father not be around could in the long run have benefited him not having that, you know, negative influence on him, even if it's inconsistent, you just don't know how much of an impact that does have. So how did you approach introducing your current husband to your oldest son? I met Tyler through Tinder, actually. He was like my one and only Tinder date. (laughs) (laughs) And it was risky because in his bio, it said, I got kicked off of farmers only for plowing too hard. Oh my gosh. What a pickup, <laughs> what a pickup line. <laughs> I know. So I was like, either this guy's going to be a total DB mm-hmm. or he's going to be really, really funny. And thankfully, he was really funny and had like a really good personality. And I I just knew that after our first date that I loved him and that mm. he was going to love me unconditionally and our very like the first sentence that came out of my mouth when we met was like I have a son and if you're not going to be okay with that in any capacity like I have to go home because right. like you have to love him and you have to accept him and he was like all right like I, I I'm in you know let's let's figure it out I probably rush I did I honestly did I I rushed a little bit like not he met Lucas probably like two or three weeks in um, which is not the most responsible I know I realized that but it worked out you know we never we never pushed you know dad onto him onto Lucas like that was never a thing we made it very clear that Lucas has a father and a mother and that is me and that's Nate Tyler and Lucas call each other bros like that was they are bros that's cute and to this day yeah to this day he's bro lucas is nine so (laughs) if you ever like hear us out in public like people laugh because they're like you know did he just say bro and and my youngest birdie who's three also calls him bro tyler was great he was it was good it was like it was a really good fit from the start did you feel like you had to take any special like steps to make it into a supportive blended family or it kind of just naturally became this it it really did kind of fall into place and one thing that i sincerely appreciated and and still do appreciate to this day is Tyler's family was very accepting. They never judged me for having a child because that was one of the things that I was most afraid of was Mm -hmm. the fact that I was bringing, you know, like, who is this girl who was a kid and why is she not with her father? Because then, you know, people automatically make assumptions like, oh, well, she must be this and that. But no, never. They love him and he loves them. And it was, it's just really nice. Everything just like really fell into place and you know your husband is bro but what role does he play in your oldest son's life he is his dad he's you know we don't we don't do the dad we don't call him dad Mm -hmm. but he is i mean right off the bat he was coaching soccer um he's he's been he goes to every game he goes to every practice he wakes up with like in the mornings um for school with he does everything he's so good and he's so patient he's so tolerant you know there is backlash and there's resentment there for sure. Um, you know, from Lucas, just because Tyler's not his biological dad. And sometimes that gets to Lucas, but Tyler has done nothing but make 
his, you know, work on himself, make his life better so that Lucas has a good role model. Is there any specific memories or things that you can think of that you can just see that positive influence on his development or well-being and you just saw almost like a flip in Lucas? The first couple of years were hard and not because not that Tyler was making it hard. Nate was making things really hard. Mm -hmm. He was, there was a lot of you know, negative things that were being said about myself and my husband to Lucas, then, you know, he has no shame. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it did, you know, even though Tyler from day one was doing all of these things, um, it did take a while. I started taking Lucas to therapy when he was four. So I think that after that, once he, you know, we kind of, you know, established that there was a problem and we needed to fix it. I would say probably around five it was it was a lot better. Does Lucas still have memories of kind of refereeing fights between you two? I think so. I definitely think that he remembers us screaming at each other. Luckily, when there were instances, I will say that his father never touched me. It was like the being so close to my face, you could feel the spit, like backing me up in a corner and like dumping cereal on my head and just like throwing like back stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to you know, make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not that it's any better, but I know that Lucas has definitely said that he can remember us fighting and it's sad. What advice do you have for other parents who may be facing similar such circumstances, such as either juggling multiple co-parenting relationships or even addressing the effects of addiction on their child's life? I kind of, like I mentioned before, document everything, you know, that's more, more so for the addiction part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a gut feeling, definitely confront it and don't give in if you have that gut feeling and you and you're just like for me he he would cause me so much anxiety and so much depression when I would try to implement like the parenting plan and that's another thing that I highly highly recommend is getting some kind of parenting plan in place or getting you know some kind of agreement being extra specific with holidays sports extracurriculars anything a hundred percent recommend getting a parenting agreement or something in writing Mm -hmm. because you always have that to fall back on if you don't how are you going to be able it's just it's just so much easier to have something in writing to fall back on yeah the accountability Um, piece as far as the addiction goes i mean like i said like don't don't give in for the sake of just not wanting to fight and nine times out of ten if your intuition is telling you something and they're displaying certain behaviors i believe that that something is going on and you're allowed to say no you're allowed to you know have boundaries and that was a big problem for me was setting boundaries and upholding with uh lucas's dad now being do you have any like fear concern about him trying to gain custody or how do you battle visitation and stuff like that now that he's out of state so that's always that's always a fear that i have no matter how good that lucas is doing um realistically if we were to go in front of a judge right now i would not be worried um because lucas is a really great student he's a really great athlete like he's come so far but it's always in the back of my mind i will say that lucas has seen his father twice since his father moved there and that I've let Lucas travel to Colorado. That is not him coming to see him and make an effort. I think maybe he had his girlfriend had court maybe. And I think they came, but it was interesting because when Lucas lost his first tooth, I sent a text message to Nate and his mom. So Lucas's dad and grandmother, his mother accidentally texted me and said, you really need to go and see Lucas when you're there. So I didn't even know that he was coming. So he's not making an effort to see him. Okay. Um, and so 
yeah, this this Christmas I refuse to send him because I don't obviously his father's doing drugs even though they were saying he wasn't. So so how often do you guys communicate if at all at this point? The last time, it's so it, like once every three or four months. Okay. The last time we communicated it was about two months ago. He was going he was in rehab, mm-hmm. and um, I I told him I like I said if you keep you know, neglecting Lucas and not speaking with him, he's not going to want to talk to you anymore. You know, he's nine now. We heard from him yesterday for the first time in a month. Oh, wow. Does Lucas ever blame himself or have any, like, backlash from not being in communication with his birth father or, you know what I mean? Like, does he have any, does he have, does he have any fallback after he talks to his birth dad or not talking to his birth dad and stuff like that? Yes. So I have Lucas in therapy and I've had Lucas in therapy for the last year and a half. Obviously that got kind of skewed with COVID. Mm-hmm. So we were not living in Mooresville. We we moved to Mooresville when Lucas was in first grade. I had him seeing a school counselor in addition to an, and a therapist because I knew he was like, he did have trouble. He was having problems socially. He has been seeing the same. He doesn't see the school counselor anymore, but he does see a therapist um, because there are just some things that I cannot properly communicate to him because I a lot of resentment Mm. um and yes he when he does talk to his dad on the phone he has a complete setback every time he just gets really irritable um he gets you could just tell he just gets in a funk and he just wants to be in his room and he gets kind of resentful toward my husband too i i think that he may i don't know he's nine but i think he may be past the fact that i don't think that he thinks that that um his dad does drugs because of him and but that took like years of therapy and stuff and he's only nine so does he ask to speak to him or he kind of just it might be just a random phone call no he doesn't and that's one of the so there were two sessions ago with lucas and i won't really get into specifics um because you know it's his session but Mm -hmm. um we had i sit in there with him and i give him the option i you know i say i ask him if he wants me to be in there or if he doesn't want me in there and he did and he got really 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 emotional and you know he just said to me he's like I don't like it. You know, I don't like it when you talk about my dad. Like, I don't like it when, you know, you ask me questions. Like, I just don't want to talk about it. It's so hard because like, I have made mistakes in the past. I've said things about his father that I am not proud of. And I, you know, I, I regret it, but really in, you know, the last couple of years, what, you know, when I bring things up about his dad, it's, you know, I try to reassure Lucas, Hey, this is not your fault. Hey, He doesn't, you know, like he doesn't do drugs because of you. Mm -hmm. Hey, he's just got, you know, personal issues that he's trying to work through. And unfortunately, this is how he handles it. He doesn't even want me to say that. Like he just, Mm. he's just resentful. As a mom, how do you take care of yourself while also dealing with all of these different things and navigating the complexities of such a unique family situation? Because your your own well-being, you know, is important. You got to, because if you're not all together, how are you going to help your son go through this and keep this family unit together? So do you have any specific self-care practices that you do or support systems that you use for yourself? Absolutely. Um, I went through really bad postpartum depression with both of my sons. And with Lucas, I was so young. I didn't even know what postpartum depression was. And so I like at that point in my life, I, I sought therapy, but it was like very sporadic. I had a really traumatic life event happen. Um, a couple years ago, my other best friend passed away, which was completely unexpected. And Brody was only six months old. So my postpartum depression was off the wall. I 
sadly feel like I don't even remember like the first year of Brody's life mm. or like last six months of his life, I guess, because of how dark it like really was for me. And it was really like when Brody was about one or one and a half, I was like, I have to get help. Like I have to get consistent help. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been in therapy ever since. I am such an advocate for therapy. Like I preach it. I'm mm -hmm. not ashamed. Um, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many different kinds of therapy. I also do um, EMDR therapy, which is um, focused around like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. um, just because I've had so many like tragic things kind of happen like back to back to back. Right. Um, I'm an advocate for medication. Um, if you need to take medication and even, you know, even if it's just for, you know, a few months to like get yourself back on track. So the, and, and, you know, when I go to my therapy sessions, it's like, that's my time. Mm -hmm. And I recently, I ran cross country in high school. I recently went on a trip to Utah with my sister and we did a bunch of hikes and it was just like absolutely beautiful. And it like, it inspired me to get back into running and just like be in nature. Um, so I've been running and I have like a couple girls who go with me and they're, they're great. It's so nice to have accountability partners. No, that's absolutely awesome. I'm, I'm a big advocate for therapy as well. I think if you're not in it, you should get in it, even if you don't have any quote unquote problems, just to be able to have a safe space right. to talk out loud and to explore your feelings. I just think that's amazing that you, I had bad postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage. That one's fun. Um, but for my first child, I did not have the help that I needed. I did not seek therapy for my second child. I was ready to go into therapy almost immediately. And it's, uh, I'm glad that you were able to get the help you need because it's a really scary, scary place to have those feelings and those thoughts. And, you know, having a supportive partner too, he was such a big part in that. Like, you know, when I could not literally, I know that this sounds cliche, but when I couldn't get out of bed. You know, he was, you know, going to work and, you know, making dinner and, you know, making sure the kids, you know, I was doing my part and I was still working and things, but I just, I had no joy. It was, I just felt like a shell and he really, like, he was really there for me. And if I didn't have him to get me through, I, I don't, I have no idea if I would have even made it. It's unreal how difficult it can be being a mom you never know what's going to come like you think getting through the pregnancy is it and then you're going to have this baby and everything's just going to fall into place and that's not always the case and more people need to be aware of that and it's okay to not feel great after having a baby and I think that's something that is not talked about enough um, there's so many people who kind of shut themselves out because they're they feel like that's not something normal to not be so excited to have this baby home with you and postpartum is such a common thing that so many women go through and people don't realize that it might be what they're going through because nobody in their family's done talked about mm -hmm. it or gotten therapy for it or whatever um so it's nice right. to find that support system whether it is your significant other or a therapist or other moms that can kind of walk through that piece of life with you and support you along right. the way. I wish that somebody had been more honest with me when I got, like when I was pregnant and like, I, aside from babysitting my cousins, like I was in my teens, like I had no idea. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like I was, I was completely clueless. And so, you know, when you lose somebody that like was such an in, like integral part in it, it, it was just like, I felt I was just so sad that like I feel like I didn't have a connection with Lucas 
And I know that that sounds bad. And like when I was pregnant with him, like I wanted to be, you know, like happy about it and stuff. But because of all of the stuff that was going on, I just like, I could not feel a connection. I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, am I, am I ever going to, of course, when he came was completely different, but I just, I just wasn't, I was not prepared in any way, shape or form. And and again, I didn't know about postpartum really. Yeah. I wish, um, postpartum was taken more seriously. Cause I know like when you go to the doctor's office and stuff, they're just like, oh, you know, fill out this little form and the questions are so broad and people could lie on them. And I mean, I know I did uh, with yeah. my first, I had heard of postpartum depression, but I always lied on it because I'm like, oh, I don't want them to think that there's something wrong with me. I don't want them to take my baby or I don't want to go and get like locked up or something. Right. But like now I'm so, <laughs> I feel bad for like all the new moms that come in contact with me. I'm like, hi, like my best friend just had a baby. She's three months old and she came down to visit us. And I was like, hi, I love you. How are you doing? You know, with, you know, postpartum and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, I'm good. I'm like, are you suicidal? And she's like, what? And I was like, no, seriously, are you suicidal? Like, do you have suicidal thoughts? And she goes, no. I'm like, do you have overwhelming sadness? Do you, how often are you showering? Because like, those should be like the questions, like how do you remember besides today? Cause you're going to a doctor's appointment. When was the last time you showered? When did you brush your teeth? Do you remember when you, you know, it's like actual realistic questions that show depression or show, you know, are you afraid for anybody to touch your baby? Yes. You know, I wish there were more realistic questions that would be able to pinpoint and help the postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum rage. Yeah. I just, uh, it's hard when you have that, you don't have, you either don't have that connection or you have the opposite. You have such a connection that you're fearful of everybody else around your child you had so much support it's definitely hard for the first one too because you don't know if this is normal feelings or if this is something more in that pregnancy and you know I just didn't have a supportive partner and you know when I would be having you know now what I would call episodes you know he would just he was just immature and would just say the nastiest things and it's just it is so much better when you have support that's that's how I that's all I can say (laughs) Tyler was just great So what message or words of encouragement would you like to share with other mothers who might be listening, um, who may be feeling overwhelmed or judged by their family dynamic? What would you want them to know? A large part of the reason why I kind of wanted to do this was because, you know, I haven't always lived in Mooresville and I didn't really know about the Mooresville culture before moving here. And I think that there is like this perceived like image of what a family is supposed to look like. I just want people to know that just because you don't have the, you know, quote unquote, picture perfect family. I think that we think, you know, people in my position think that people are judging them more than they actually are. You know, one size fits all, you know, what works for you and your family works for you and your family. And you don't have to explain yourself. Um, If you want to, of course you can, but just keep on pushing. Like you don't have to, there's no reason for you to compare yourself to other people. No, I completely agree. Cause my family looks different compared to some other families in Mooresville. And at first I was worried about what people were thinking. Yeah. And that's the same thing with me too. Like it's been so hard. And you know, one of the other hurdles that I've kind of faced as a young mother is, you know, Lucas is not, I'm 30. And Lucas is nine. And so, you know, a lot of, I feel very intimidated sometimes, you know, especially around here, because 
you know, a lot of the parents are a bit older than me, which is fine, but I am so intimidated because I'm like, oh my God, I don't think we have anything in common. Like I don't live on the lake, you know, we're not rich. And that's just me in my head. Like they're all really nice people. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, I am always so self-conscious and it's, it is sometimes harder to relate. And, and that's where Tyler and I kind of struggle and, and, you know, finding our village, um, and people around here that kind of, you know, we feel like we can relate to. I definitely feel like it's, um, and I have a seven-year-old, so I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. So I get that, you know, being on the younger side, having, uh, cause I had TJ when I was 24. So I definitely, you know, a little bit older than, or a little bit yeah, older than you, but I do get that feeling, you know, most of the moms in his class are in their almost forties. So I'm like, cool. Like I just, it's all for me. I feel like it's all in my head. I like, I feel like I'm being judged and because, you know, like I have my nose ring and I have my tattoos and stuff. And so it's all in my head though. Everyone's always been super nice to me. It's just me. I'm intimidated. And that's something that I, that I I totally get the intimidation factor. And on the flip side though, I get a lot of people tell me that I'm intimidating, that I'm not approachable. And (laughs) that's always been my problem. Yeah, it's funny because it's like, oh my gosh, you're really nice. And I was like, well, yeah, of course I'm nice. Like I never, when I went to go talk to you, I was like, I was so nervous to go talk to you. I was like, oh, well, I'm really nice. Like, (laughs) It's interesting that you say that because I've gotten that a lot too. Um, and I don't know if it's because people think like automatically because I'm from New Jersey, like I'm just a horrible person. Um, which, you know, honestly, I get it. But <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always, I've always gotten that. And the same thing, it's like when people, you know, finally get to know me and maybe kind of understand a little bit more why I am the way I am. They're like, you know. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I know that it's not always easy to kind of dive deep and tell your personal business to everyone, but I think it's nice to have somebody that people can relate to because your situation is not abnormal. There's a lot of people that have blended families that have dealt with either addiction or a parent that's non-existent. And so it's nice to have somebody that people can relate to. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad. I hope, and I really do hope that it, you know, like inspires, you know, other people to tell their stories and just realize that, like you said, like it's a lot more common than we think and we're here for each other, you know?